I could come to you, Wesley, and I could say, what is it that you want most in life? And if I could deliver that thing to you, you would buy it. I'd buy it. Absolutely. It's kind of funny when you think about it, like ask somebody what they want and then sell it to them. It's that simple, right? Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Fat Cats. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. In today's episode, I get to film an interview with Eric Thane, who is the founder and business owner of Cinema Mastery. If So Eric, I love his story because he started off filming, you know, pursuing more cinematic work. Uh, but then part of the way through the career, he just realized that people, he was watching other people struggle with a lot of these same things of how do you run a business? How do you make your work look good? And he realized that he could help. And so he was able to merge his passion of, of creating cinematic film looking commercials and, and corporate work and helped other people succeed. And, and to date, he has helped, you know, over, I think it's 10,000 people um, who have signed up and to some of his coaching or his courses for to be able to learn from him and to be able to learn how to create products that look good and also how to take a passion project, how it's crucial to create something that showcases what you can do in order to really up your game. And so what I love about this interview is he's able to dive into the story of what it was like for him creating the content. And, but, and then along the way, he shares about the process. He shares how he learned how he needed to invest in himself, learning to invest in the skill and not just be dependent on purchasing equipment and hoping that it's going to bring a return on your investment. And love also how we dive in the nitty gritty a little bit about what it was like for him having to learn the skills of email marketing and managing a business. And along the way, he just stresses how important having a mentor is. And he just gives so much credit there to having a mentor in your your business walk. And he just he points that it probably saves him millions of dollars um, where having that advice is so crucial and having someone who has been there before and asking them, how do I get to where you are? And can you please mentor me? is just the biggest thing for his business. And so we're just so excited to get the chance to interview Eric. Without further ado, here's my interview with him. Hey, Eric, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show. So thanks for being here. Yeah, man, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Well, I know that, you know, you run your own company as a DP, a cinematographer, but you also run Cinema Mastery, where you actually teach uh, a lot of the stuff that you do. So for our listeners, can you just, but before we get into that, can you just dive into a little bit of your background and, and how did you start filming and how did that passion develop for you? Yeah, so I've been making videos ever since I was very little. Uh, I always had a camera in my hand. I was always creative when I was just just a little kid. I remember as young as, uh, I mean, I mean, we had a camera when I was like 10 years old. And so I remember making videos in the backyard with my friend just about every day after school. Uh, we would run around and make videos. And, and uh, it's actually interesting how it happened is we didn't have any editing software when we were making videos. We just had the camera and it was shooting on these little high eight film tapes. I don't know if you remember those. Yes. Um, so we were filming on those and on the camera, we had camera controls where you could like rewind and fast forward and stuff, but we didn't ever have any editing software. So we had to do everything in camera. So all of the effects and we were really into like superheroes and comic books and stuff. So we try to like recreate our favorite superhero movies with all the special effects and CGI that they have. We would try to do it just in camera without any editing software. And so I think that was like the beginning of like my creativity with a camera, this whole concept. And if you follow, you know, my work or cinema mastery, a lot of what we focus on is like, how can you get the look in the camera? Like it's not about just adding fancy editing transitions in post, but like, how do you actually like create good lighting and create a cinematic look using your lighting and your composition and your set design and all those kind of things. And so, uh, anyway, fast forward to, uh, I was around 2013 was when I got my first uh, paid freelance video job, kind of got into shooting freelance video and then grew that eventually into a production company. We actually grew pretty fast um, from, you know, struggling to get clients here and there to getting to the point where we were now making six figures uh, in our production company. And so, and so that was like my thing. I thought that was it. Like I was living the dream. I was happy. I'm doing what I love and I'm getting paid for it. Like what could be better than that? Right. And then, uh, and then this thing hit me where it was like, man, a lot of people could probably benefit from learning how we did this. And there's just so many filmmakers out there that are 
struggling to be frank to to get clients or to make their videos look cinematic or they're spending years or they're trying to like go through the hollywood route or spending all this time like trying to make it happen and uh i just saw a huge opportunity for there there for us to help a lot of people and at the same time you know it's another business venture and i'm very entrepreneurial have been ever since i was little and so um you know another opportunity to try something else uh try something else out um pursue another challenge and just see what we can make of it. And that's kind of where Cinema Mastery came from. So over the last four years, we've been running Cinema Mastery. I'm uh, still occasionally doing uh, production jobs in my production company on the side, but most of my effort is going towards uh, Cinema Mastery now, is uh, focusing on helping other filmmakers grow their business, create cinematic videos. And uh, to date, we have now over 13,000 filmmakers um, in over 100 countries around the world that we've worked with. And uh, it's just growing from there. So it's been amazing. That, that's great that you've actually been able to kind of pivot that to that being in some ways your your kind of main focus. Yeah, it's definitely a main focus now. No, cool. Well, because I know, you know, at times I've talked to people who have, you know, gone to Hollywood and, um, you know, it, it's really like a grind if, if you're trying to make it out in Hollywood. I mean, you get to be an, an associate or a fourth director on a set. It basically means you're getting coffee for, you know, for somebody and you're just trying to hustle and work long hours. But I mean, you didn't go that route and obviously you don't think that other people need to, but what do you feel like it, it takes in order to be able to get the look and actually make clients anywhere besides, you know, Hollywood or a major, major city? Yeah. And, and I think it's important to note that the reality is it's going to take hard work anywhere, like no matter how you do it, like that's, that's an important thing, but, but like, you know, it's not just working hard, but it's also working smart. That's important. And if your goal is to be a Hollywood filmmaker and break out in the industry and everything, then like, by all means, go that route. That's, what that's just never what I was interested in. You know, I, I've always been more interested in commercial work, short form commercial work. Like our commercials that we do for clients are never more than 60 or 90 seconds long. Um, honestly, anything longer than that just doesn't, I don't know. There's just an appeal to that short form content that I really enjoy. And so like, I've never really been interested in short films or feature films or anything like that. So, so, so besides the fact that that's not really my thing, uh, I do think there's a lot of people that um, for lack of a better way to put it are not smart about how they approach the business side of things. So you get a lot of filmmakers that kind of believe that, well, I'm just going to create work and slowly get better over time and create more work. And eventually maybe it'll get picked up and maybe I'll be successful and maybe I'll slowly climb the ladder uh, uh, to Hollywood. And then eventually, like you said, be able to get coffee for the big directors and then maybe someday become a big director myself. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's fine if that's what you want. But like, for me, there's too many maybes in that equation. And, uh, you know, being entrepreneurial, like I am, I want to control my situation. I want to control my life. And I found a niche here with uh, commercial filmmaking, um, with, you know, working with a specific niche where I can control my business, where I can run my own production company, control the clients that I'm working with, and essentially control my income and control my own lifestyle. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, the entrepreneurial side of me, that's like what it's all about is like, what what is the lifestyle that I want to live? You know, I'm only 30 years old, but when I get to be 40, 50 years old or, or even earlier, what's the lifestyle I want to live even right now? And what do I need to do in order to achieve that as an entrepreneur, as a creative? No, I think that that is a great point because I mean, I know at times I've talked to, you know, DPs who are, you know, big shoots, um, I mean, it was a few years ago, but I had talked to one of the, the big DPs for, I think it was like the show, The The Bachelor. And, you know, he just talked, you know, a bit about, you know, like the grind and what it was like. And, you know, he just, he was like, work, 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 like from one job to the next. And I think he, he enjoyed his job, but at the same time, it very, very much felt like he obviously didn't have any control over, over schedule, what that looked like, but it was going from, from one thing to the next. Uh, but it seems like you've kind of managed to find a little bit of that balance where you can, it, it's about finding that lifestyle that you want and be able to, you know, spend time with, with family. I know, I think you have family, I have a family and it's nice being able to, to be home for them when we want to. Um, so I think what was, at what point did you realize, Hey, I can kind of set some of those things. And that's more important to me than, than anything, than necessarily like getting a certain type of status or, 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 or a different goal. Like at what point did you realize, Hey, this is the lifestyle I want to have for myself. And, and was there a work that you had to do to get there? I think for me, that was always the goal. 
Um, like I said, I've been entrepreneurial since I was young. So I remember starting my first business when I was 13 years old. And uh, that has been my main source of income for my entire life. I, I had two jobs ever. One was at a ski resort because I wanted the free season pass. And then one was like a graphic design job at my college just because it seemed fun. And that was it. Like outside, outside of that, I've always run my own businesses to, to make money all through middle school, high school, college, and then beyond. That's always been the thing. And I feel like my goal ever since I was little was always like, I want to figure out what it is that I really love doing that I'm really passionate about. And whatever those things are, and it's not just one thing, uh, and it doesn't have to stay the same thing. That's going to change probably throughout my life. But like, as long as I can identify what those things are, and then figure out a way to make money doing that, to make a good enough living to support my wife and my family, uh, to have the lifestyle that I want to, you know, do whatever I want to do with my life, then I will have a fulfilling life without regret, right? And so that's always kind of been the goal is from the very beginning was how can I figure out what I like to do, what I love to do, and how do I make money at it? And so that manifests itself in a lot of different ways throughout my life. So I've been entrepreneurial and work with clients for a long time, um, but I really like fell into filmmaking almost by mistake um, and uh, came into it and just realized that I had this really great passion for filmmaking. And like I said, it doesn't have to be the same thing. So that means that down the road, it might be something different, you know, maybe, maybe I'll kind of move out of filmmaking and that'll just kind of become a hobby and a passion that kind of uh, is behind. I'll move into something else for, you know, for the money-making side of things. Um, but, but for right now, like, you know, it is something that I'm passionate about, something that I've loved ever since I was a kid and being able to get to that point where I'm doing what I enjoy and also making money at it is basically the dream, right? No, definitely. So, so I know a lot of people actually have a hard time establishing goals. And I think it can be easy to kind of float from one to the next, not really being able to dial in what their goals are, what they're passionate, what they actually want to accomplish. For those people, do you like, do you have any advice? And was there any, any kind of like turning point of you really being able to identify your goals? Was it just this clear sense of, I enjoy doing this more than anything else? Or what was that process like for you for the honing in on your goals? So goal setting for me starts from a, you know, it starts from a future based goal and then, and then you kind of start there and then work your way back to like a current goal basically is the way I look at how it. How far so, advanced do you like to, to, to goal plan? Uh, so, so like, if you want to look at it philosophically, like the farthest future based goal is like my deathbed. Okay. okay. <laughs> it, it might sound morbid, right? But like when that's, I'm on my deathbed, ideal. yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm on my deathbed, what do I want to how do I want to feel about my life? Okay. And, and that's like pretty far out there. Right. Um, but that's, but that's basically the concept is looking at, well, what do I want my lifestyle to look like? What do I want to have? What do I want to do? What do I want to be? What do I want to achieve in my life? And looking at those things and then start breaking that down into, okay, well, in order for that to happen, what else would have to be in place? So for me to do that, let's, let's just go to the money side of things. That's the easy way to put it. How much money would I have to be making in order to live that lifestyle? Okay. So it's this much. All right. So then how much would I have to make per year in order to get there in five years, in 10 years or whatever? Okay. So if I have to make that much, how much do I have to make per month? Then how much do I have to make per week? And then how much would I have to make per day? in order to make that happen. And so I actually have um, on my wall right here, I've got what I call my dream board, which has a series of pictures of things that uh, remind me of what I want in my life, what lifestyle I wanna have, where I wanna get um, as an entrepreneur. And in the bottom right corner of it, uh, it's kind of personal, so I won't talk about the specifics, but in the no, bottom absolutely. right corner, it has the number that I have to make every day in order for me to have that lifestyle. And so that is a reminder to me every single day. So now we're on a daily basis, right? I'm thinking about it every single day at the end of the day. I look, okay, here's how much we made this day. Did I reach my goal? No, I didn't. Okay. What are we going to do better the next day? And it's always just kind of that drive. What can I do now on the daily to reach that long-term lifestyle goal? Right. And uh, a funny thing that we do, like my wife and I is like every day that we have a day where we surpass that goal. We always, I always tell my wife, like we had a dream day today. We had a dream day today. And then, uh, you know, if we didn't, it's just like work harder the next day, right? But trying to make it happen. But that's kind of how I look at goal setting, I guess, in a nutshell, in a short, like 
five minute podcast version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you start with the future, right? Where do we want to be? Who do I want to be? What do I want to achieve? Those kind of things, those kind of, you know, more philosophical questions, and then start breaking that down into what has to happen in the next year, the next five years, in the next month, week, day, in order for me to get there. So I, I am curious, in order to get to that spot where you could have that big picture dreams, what kind of state did you have to get into? I mean, did you, uh, you know, did you come up with these dreams while scrolling Instagram? Did you have to set aside some time and block things out? Like what worked for you to actually thinking through those things? I think it's something that kind of changes and evolves over time. Because um, like, I will say that my dreams now are way bigger than like what they were when I was 15 years old, right? Yeah. And because as, as, as everyone you, should hope. Yeah. As you grow and as you evolve and you learn and you and when and you start becoming more successful, you start realizing what's possible, your mindset of what you can achieve is going to increase. And so uh, so like this dream board, for example, I actually just swapped it out. Uh, actually, some of the things on my previous dream board I had already accomplished. And so then now my level just increased. Now it's like, well. I'm not going for that anymore. Now I'm going for this. And so I redesigned it and added new things to it. So now it's like the next level. And that to me, like that just, that just means that like throughout my life, I'll always be progressing, always be trying to do more, achieve more. And, uh, you know, that's, that's internal, that's baked into me. <laughs> and so that's important to me, but, um, yeah, that's, that's really what it's about. Yeah. Well, and cause I think it, it is a sort of thing where it can be tempting for people just to reach a spot and, and coast and, and stop getting better. But I don't think, you know, life is as fulfilling when you just stop learning and stop growing and uh, stop being better. And, you know, it is, it is really about continually improving and making sure that you can always grow as a person. There's always something you can be doing better. And it's in that journey that I think a lot of people find that fulfillment. Yep, absolutely. And so I am curious then kind of going back to with the fact that you do have cinema mastery, you know, as a business, you know, what skill sets do you feel like have been important? I know I've kind of followed your stuff and have just really been impressed at your ability to do sales funnels and to with like emailing, um, you know, the fact that you can show up in my inbox on a, on a regular basis, you know, what, what was that process like for you of going from, from filming, having the cinema mastery, having, and having all those skills to then developing a business, learning what that's like, developing a sales funnel. What was that process like for you? Yeah. So it's like anything else. It was a learning process, right? There's a learning curve to it. And I think the most important thing to note is that those two things are completely different skill sets because they so are yeah. being able to create amazing videos is one thing, uh, or being able to create something that looks cinematic or that's emotional or that people enjoy. Uh, it's visually appealing. That's, that's one thing. That's like the artistic side that most of us have the business side, being able to understand marketing and sales, and uh, you know, SEO, social media, like whatever it is that you're you're doing, however you're marketing your business, it's an entirely different skill set. And uh, and and I'll be honest, um, you know, I had some of that as I was running my production company, and you know, I've I've always been like, because I've been running my own businesses since I was young, so I've been somewhat savvy as far as like how to network, how to meet people, how to talk to them about my business, how to sell my services and get clients and that kind of stuff. And so, so we've done well with the production company, but when it came to starting my, um, online business, so when it came to my, uh, you know, cinema mastery, actually teaching filmmakers, I was clueless when I started out. I had no idea. I knew nothing about internet marketing and what I thought I knew about marketing and sales was so minuscule compared to what I know now. Now it's been, you know, it's been over four years now that we've been doing this. And so, so it's been a big process of learning and I have not at any point during those four years, not had a mentor or coach that's been helping me. And that's been a huge, huge part of it is the reason that we we're able to take off so fast, which we did with cinema mastery, just right out the gate, we started um, growing um, is because I didn't go and try and figure it out how to do it on my own. Right. Yeah. I actually, I got started because I hired a mentor that was like, Hey, I've done this before. Let me show you how to do it. And I literally just followed his steps. That's what got me started, got me into it. And then eventually, you know, kind of outgrew that one and got into another mentorship program, another coaching program, and just kind of started evolving and growing and learning from people who have been where I am 
and have grown past that point and just asking them, what should I do? And, uh, and obviously there's a lesson in that, that, you know, rather than figuring something out on your own, you can, you can grow so much faster and learn it so much faster by just like finding somebody who's done it before, who's done what you're trying to do and just asking them how to do it. And for me, there's no amount of money that would be too much for that advice. So, because uh, yeah, so, they're, they're literally saving you potentially thousands of dollars in lost revenue or wasting your time doing things that don't actually work. Yeah, or millions, or, or millions. You know, <laughs> we, I mean, I think I think at this point we've probably spent close to or more than a hundred grand just on coaching and courses and mentorship, and that's a lot of money. Like when I when I say that, like I get this pit in my stomach. It's like, holy cow, that's that's like, think of all the things I could have spent that money on or the things I could have had or whatever. Um, But you you also could have gotten a master's degree that might not have actually taught you the precise skills that you actually need for the stage of your business. Yeah, and that's an entirely different subject on its own. But Okay, we're uh, probably going to dive into the the state of higher ed right now versus coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that can be a separate. But but anyway, like, you know, I could have spent that money on a lot of different things, but the reality is like, had I not spent it where I did, I would not be where I am. And yep. that is very, very clear to me. There's no denying that. And so, so yeah. Well, I know too, you know, kind of following some of the stuff that you, you had uh, been posting for a while. And, you know, I, th- I think early on too, everyone, it's all about the gear. It's all about, all right, what camera do I get? Um, you know, it's all about, hey, what what does this next thing? Because I think the thing is, it, it's really easy to... Uh, pull out a credit card and make a purchase and tell yourself, Hey, this is going to be a return, but it's also a, a little bit harder to actually do the work and learn. And so I think that's why kind of gear fever becomes a thing because it's becomes a quick fix. However, it, it's quick fix that isn't actually um, going to lead to a return. I know you're a big fan of educating, investing in yourself for you. Had there been any realization point when it came to your work where it's like, Hey, it's not just about the gear. It's about the skill set, And, and what was that process and transition like for you? So when I started my, when I started to get serious about filmmaking, my production company, and I went off on my own, I'd been working with a partner prior to that. And I decided to go off on my own and like, just build my own thing, my own production company, my own video business. The first thing that I did is I went out and I bought a $6,000 camera, a $3,000 gimbal. So the camera was the C100 Mark II uh, for camera people. Yep. Um, the, uh, I bought a, the original Ronin gimbal. The uh, I bought some one lights. It weighs like 50 pounds. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't <laughs> so even have heavy. the muscle to carry it. Yeah. No, I, I had purchased that one too at one point. So I spent probably, I, I mean, I spent a lot of money on gear, probably, you know, close to $10,000. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. Um, you know, uh, that was, that was probably a lot of what I had made at that point. And so I went, that was the first thing I did is I went and spent, you know, all that money on this gear because I had this thing in my head. I think a lot of filmmakers have, that's like, if I get this stuff, I'm going to look really professional, uh, on set. They're going to, my clients are going to love me. My images are going to look really cinematic and really cool and good because it was a cinema camera that I'm buying, right? Not a DSLR. So I'm upgrading from DSLR to cinema camera, right? So now my images are going to look cinematic. And I kind of had that, um, that thought, right? And I, and I remember going and doing my very first shoot with the camera when I got it, I, I went out and I just, and I just started shooting stuff. I just wanted to try it, right? You get a new camera, you open up the package, you go, go out and shoot so with it, do. right? I got in the car with my uh, girlfriend at the time, now my wife, we got in the car, we started driving around shooting stuff, you know, shooting shots of buildings or like things outside, just running around, just run and gun shooting stuff. And as I was shooting and um, when I got back and looked at the footage, I was like, this, this, there's nothing special about this. It looks kind of boring. Like that's a building. That's it. Like, there's nothing interesting about this. And we Does were it automatically look magical. Oh yeah. So yeah. Terrible like, lighting anyway. I was ex- it's like, I was expecting this magic to happen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I remember doing my first shoot, like for a client, I did one and uh, you know, I set up the lights and did everything the best I could. But then like, I came back and there was like weird banding issues and like all this, all, the footage is all messed up. And I actually sent the camera back to Canon. I was like, there's a problem with your camera. Like I'm not getting a good image out of this. It's not clean. It's not cinematic. It's not like, it doesn't look right. 
And they did their test, whatever. They emailed me back and were like, oh, there's nothing wrong with your camera. Here you go. You can have it back. And um, that was a lesson for me. It's kind of embarrassing to share that, honestly. Uh, but what I learned um, for a while, I just didn't like that camera at all. And over time, I've learned to love that camera actually a lot. What I learned is that the cinematic look, the image that you get, the, the, you know, whether your look is visually appealing or not, does not come from the camera. There's a part of it that does. There's a technical quality that will. You'll get more pixels. You'll get higher dynamic range. You'll get better processing. You get, there's things like that. But those things are not nearly as important as the creative quality, which comes from your lighting and your camera settings and your composition and your, your storytelling, okay? Acting, set design, like the list goes on and on and on. All these things that happen in front of the camera are the things that actually make a difference or make 80% or 90% of the difference in your look and not the camera itself. And so that was... That was probably the first time I really learned that lesson. The the, the light it's it's the lighting, it's that work you spend beforehand that's actually gonna make it obviously look good. Yeah, if you if you look at the 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 projects that a lot of our members have done, because we we help them do passion projects and stuff, the ones that are the best, the ones that are really stand out passion projects, if you look at the ones that like if you go to cinemamastery.com, there's a handful of them will show you that that people have done. The ones that really stand out the most are the people who put the most effort into pre-production. Oh, yes. Okay. Because there's a difference between really crafting a story and an idea and the lighting and considering like your locations and what lighting gear you need and how you're going to craft that story and everything like that. And just taking your camera out in your backyard and shooting, uh, you know, a shot of your best friend. Yeah. Right. Very different. Your dog. Yeah. Or your dog. No. So I, so I really appreciate that in terms of just kind of break it down and thanks for sharing that story about you know just assuming that hey if i just get the right camera everything will automatically you know be right because you know it does take a lot of hard work and, and investing in yourself for you is it just a matter of learning especially for the cinema part was it just a matter of learning additional resources was there something for you that had been helpful in the mentor or was the mentor later on in, in the business section for, for cinema mastery so uh so are you talking about the, the cinema mastery like, specifically or from the part of you achieving like the look you wanted, was that a process of just learning in, in general and gleaning from a from a whole different bunch of places? Or was there something that you felt was a helped you up your game? So unfortunately when I started really like getting into video, and this was this was seven years ago, 2013, uh I, I started shooting videos in about 2011 and then started like getting paid for it in 2013. Um there there weren't there weren't like YouTube tutorials or courses or mentors or coaches. Like that wasn't really a thing yet. That's yeah. only kind of more come up in the last, like we started four, almost four and a half years ago uh, with cinema mastery. And like there, we were one of the first, like there was nothing else out there. People were like, what are you doing? Like so we were like really ahead of the curve um, at the time. Which is where you want to be when you're a business. Like, <laughs> well, well, yeah, of course, you know, we saw the opportunity. We took it, but there's a, uh, now, you know, there's now there's just, it's everywhere, right? You can go on YouTube and you can find thousands, hundred thousand, maybe even millions of videos teaching you filmmaking, right? And so we didn't have that. And so a lot of it was just experimentation and learning and, you know, throwing ideas off of friends and just passing ideas back and forth. Um, but a big chunk of it came from my inspiration from some filmmakers in my local area. So there were a couple guys that I had heard of in my local area, um, one of them was a DP named DP named uh, Paul Myers, who's phenomenal, just incredible, like still one of my favorite DPs to this day. And then and there's a director named Jeff Yeats, and these guys worked together. And their producer was a really good friend of mine. Uh, we became friends. He had been a client, and we became friends. And uh, so I didn't know those guys, but I knew the producer, and like we talked quite a bit. And eventually, you know, he actually became my producer and started producing a lot of my stuff. And from him, I gleaned a lot of information about how they were doing things because they had like at the time I was shooting just like your standard videography I was doing weddings and events and Kickstarter videos, and real estate, like, you know, what everybody does. anything, anything that people pay you for. In, in yeah, show. basically, like you have money. I'll do a video I have for camera. you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was doing a lot of that. And then but then these guys like they had this portfolio of this work that was just so big looking. It had this, you know, the, what, what we now recognize as the cinematic look, that, that big 
look, right? Big production value look. And they had, and they had brands in their portfolio like History Channel and Visa and like all these big brands. And I was like, man, how are these guys doing this? Like I, I watched their work and I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want to do, right? Like they are where I want to be. How do I do this? And I started ta- asking my friend who's the producer, you know, like what, what is it that they're doing that I'm not or that most videographers are not? And, uh, and he told me something that was really profound. He said, he said you know, what most videographers do, uh, he said, well, there's a difference between videographers and cinematographers. Videographers capture the world as it is. A videographer does. A cinematographer creates a world. And so he said, what most videographers do is that they go outside, they take their camera and they shoot a video of their dog and then they upload it to YouTube, right? What, <laughs> you know, generalizing, right? Yeah. Um, what, what a cinematographer does is they create a world. So what these guys are doing is rather than just like working with local clients, you know, finishing the video for the client per their specifications, putting that video in your portfolio, attracting the same client, you know, doing, going through that cycle over and over again. What these guys do is they go out and they say, well, what do I want to achieve? This kind of goes back to my goal setting, right? Where do I want to be? And they start acting like that right now. So what they do is they go and they shoot passion projects which are self-funded films, commercial films for these brands like History Channel, Visa, like uh, I can't remember the other ones, but there were a bunch. And they start, they start planning and the process of creating these amazing commercials and they create those commercials for their portfolio so that they can showcase to brands like that what they're capable of doing. It's a completely different mindset shift, a completely different approach to this. And by doing that, you know, they've been able to create this portfolio of really amazing work that attracts higher level clients rather than the same local clients over and over again. And these guys now, you know, at this point, they're shooting million dollar commercials for some of the biggest brands in the world, like international DPs and directors, just like incredible success. And, uh, and that was kind of the entire approach that I learned initially from my producer friend and then kind of went from there and moved on and like started applying that to my own work. Um, that was how we initially got to our first six figures in, in, uh, at, uh, Celadora, my production company, and, uh, it started growing from there. And that's the process exactly how to do that. And the nitty gritty of it is what we teach inside of cinema mastery in our programs there. No, that, that is a great point. Cause, cause no one's going to hire you to produce something that you haven't already done, or at least you can't produce something similar to, to what you're hoping for them to do. I mean, no one's going to say, hey, can you shoot something that looks amazing? There's nothing like you've ever done before. No, people want to point at your work and say, hey, I want you to do that for me, pretty much. Yeah, it's like, like for example, like if all you've done is wedding videos, like Disney's not going to come to you and ask you to direct their next feature film. No. Right? You haven't done it before. And so you have to be able to showcase to people what you're capable of doing. And if what you've done before is similar to what they want to have you do, then it'll be a lot easier buy for them. And how critical do you, do you feel like it is to be able to make sure you do those things according to make sure those passion projects look exactly like you want them to do versus creating something that's like halfway for a client that pays a little bit of money? I mean, does that ever work or do you kind of draw the line of either? No, this is we're doing this big so that it actually works versus a half done job. Yeah, it is rare that you find a client who will give you full creative freedom. And that makes sense. Like if, if you're working for a client, and they're paying you like your job is to create something for them, right? It's a commission. So, so you shouldn't be doing entirely what you want. Uh, I think when you get into bigger jobs and bigger clients, like it becomes more like that because when you know how to position yourself correctly, they're coming to you as an authority, as a consultant to them. And they're like, tell us what we need. And then yep. you get to tell them like, this is what we do, but you got to have a reasoning behind it and understand like your method and why you do it. Um, but for most filmmakers starting out, like your, your videos that you're shooting for clients, they're always going to have some say in it. And a lot of times they're going to want edits that are not what you would do. And so, you know, you're going to end up doing things that aren't what you want to do. You're going to end up working with maybe cheaper gear than you would because they don't have quite the budget for renting a $50,000 cinema camera. Uh, so, so you have limitations when you're working with clients. And so what happens is a lot of, a lot of videographers will shoot their videos. They make them the best they can. And that's great. Um, but like you're working under limitations. And when you take those videos that were limited and you put them in your portfolio, 
you're attracting more clients, clients. who are same, at that same limited mindset, right? You're kind of staying in, in the same like league. It's like, you know, if all you do is, is practice in the minor leagues, you know, and play at that level, it, it is harder to get up versus playing with people who are, who are bigger, uh, better. And you just, you get better by playing in, in better leagues. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so by jumping out of that and creating like these passion projects or, you know, the type of work that's going to attract higher level clients, you're, you're putting yourself in that league immediately rather than trying to work your way into that league you're just kind of i'm just you're there right you're putting yourself in that league yeah so i am curious how much work do you recommend people putting into their passion projects in terms of you know in terms of reasonable because i know sometimes passion projects they can kind of drag on for days or or, or weeks or, or months if you don't don't do them but do you have any tips for um concisely executing a passion project well uh, i mean shameless plug but we have within absolutely no i mean if you've uh, if you've learned all these tips i'd be comfortable with you obviously plugging those in yeah because yeah, yeah. Spent well, a lot within of time. cinema mastery we've built we've actually built a blueprint for you that's okay. literally like from start to finish here's how to do it and you can finish one of these in 30 days like no joke like and it's and it's not just any passion project it's not just like go out and shoot something that you want there's actually there's a formula and there's a method to it to how to create a passion project that is a really looks like a legitimate commercial for that brand and b because because it, it won't work if it if it doesn't look real and b doesn't cost a lot of money doesn't take a lot of time and doesn't require a big crew and and that's the thing is like we've kind of figured out that method and that's what we teach in there is this blueprint on exactly how to do it and that passion project so a passion project that doesn't take a lot of money or a lot of resources but that still ends up looking like a legit commercial that's what we call the perfect passion project Right. And so, and so we have a, there's a product inside of Cinema Mastery called the Perfect Passion Project Blueprint that walks you through that entire process. And uh, it's in depth. It's, it's a process, but it's literally like I follow the same process when I want to do a passion project. I go into my, I go into my own course <laughs> and I start watching the videos. And the first step is this. Okay. I do that. I write down there's, it comes like worksheets and everything. So you fill out the worksheet. Okay. This. So, so it's things like, you know, okay, figuring out the brand. And you can start, even if you don't even have an idea for a passion project yet, like it helps you come up with the idea. Here's, here's what you should do a passion project for strategically. And then what brand should it be for? And then what, you know, um, how do you figure out what scenes you're going to shoot? And then what are your locations? And then how are you going to light it? And then it walks you through the entire thing. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of my approach is in there is like, it actually is a process. Yeah. It's a process and it's important to follow that process because if you just go shoot a video, it's like, oh yeah, I really want to shoot a music video for my friends. It's going to be fun. Oh, that's going like, to go well. <laughs> not the same. Um, the way we teach it is very strategic for business purposes in order to start attracting the right level of client. And, and I know a lot of people who have gotten kind of stuck in that they need to do that passion project to really break out and uh and make people go wow but they have a hard time accomplishing that and, and so i know that even just getting a good solid whether it's proposal or passion project it, kind of sample of work is just critical for for getting to that that next level um you know at one point i had been talking to somebody who, who was wanting to create educational resources for um more of helping kids learn about about hard topics and the goal was to eventually produce videos related to him um but i was talking to the girl to her and i said like you don't have a good proof of concept yet um people aren't going to give you money to produce more videos when you don't have a proof of concept and she said oh yeah that's right so she said focus on that proof of concept and then when she had it, it was only 60 seconds but it was like a legit proof of concept of what she wanted to do she went to an investor and was able to get like pretty quickly like an additional twenty five thousand dollars to just put towards going the whole thing. So I think you're right that having uh, a solid passion project, is, the perfect passion project as you listed is like a huge key to, to success. So I'm happy to include that link in, in the show notes. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. That sounds good. And then, so, so kind of going back a little bit to cinema mastery, I know looking at your, uh, like learning email login and just the creating email sequences. This was a very completely different, set of, of of tools compared to lighting and, and, and mastery of of cameras and techniques and storyboarding and planning was it mainly just mentors who were able to guide you along the way or what had been your routines for developing those skills uh yeah mentors and then um books just a lot <laughs> uh, of learning, learning online youtube videos uh i mean a lot of it comes from 
mentors, like really most of it, but, and then just experimentation. Um, a lot of it is about experimentation, throwing things out there and seeing what people are attracted to, what, what is working, what makes sense? What do people want? Um, when it, you know, if you want to boil marketing and sales down to one simple idea, it's literally find out what your target market wants and then give it to them. And that's, and that's really what it comes down to. There's a lot of other things involved, other strategies and techniques and formulas and that kind of stuff. But really what it comes down to is like, I could come to you, Wesley, and I could say, what is it that you want most in life? And you could tell me, and if I could deliver that thing to you, you would buy it. I'd buy right? it. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny when you think about it, like ask somebody what they want and then sell it to them. It's that simple, right? Um, and a lot of what we do with Cinema Mastery comes down to that. And, and the way we've been able to grow the way we have is by, we, we just do a lot of like, I talk to our members, our, uh, the people on my email list, like, you know, I, I'm talking to them all the time. I'm asking them questions as you, you get my email. So, so I'm sending out emails a few times a week. We're getting responses from those emails. We're cataloging those responses. We're paying attention to what people are liking like this email. Oh, lots of people opened that email. Very few people opened that email. Why was that? We're looking at things like that. We're looking at data. We're running split tests. Um, so like on our sales pages, we'll have uh, at any given time, we'll have two different versions of the page running and we have, and it's sending 50% of people to this one and 50% of people to this one. And we're looking at which one is converting better, which one, where are people clicking? What are they doing? And just seeing what people like, and then taking that information and applying it. And, and a lot of that, you know, you know, we do a lot of that through data and numbers, of course, but then a lot of it also comes from just talking to your market. And this is not just for internet marketing. This is for anybody who's running any kind of business ever. You got to know your customers. You got to know what they want. You got to talk to them, uh, communicate with them. Like, what is it you're looking for? What keeps you up at night? What are you scared of? What do you need help with? What do you, those kind of things. If you can take all that information, formulate it and come back to them with a package that solves their problems and gives them what they want, you could charge anything you want in the world and they will pay for it. Boom, drop the mic. There we go. <laughs> no, that's great because I think you're right that that is that balance between, you know, people say like, hey, do what you're passionate about. It's like, yes, but at the same time, when you can solve people, figure out what problems people have and when you can solve them there, you have like a business um, that's really going to run and, and propel forward. You know, it, so I'm curious for you personally, how much time do you have any thoughts on how much time do you spend when it comes to crafting emails? Um, you know, looking through that, like about how much time a week do you feel like that's a part of your business? Um, or have, have there been parts of that that you've been able to outsource in terms of an assistant or in kind of in that space? Yeah. So we're slowly outsourcing it and kind of, you know, figuring out all those systems. Um, the way that it's kind of gone for the last four and a half years is usually, uh, so I still do a lot of the work, uh, and I enjoy it. It's fun. Um, but I'm usually kind of building the systems initially and then, and then realizing like, okay, this is a system that we can outsource. So we outsource certain things to certain people like, okay, you just follow now the formula that I've been following for the last little while, keep doing that. So you kind of outsource that, which frees up more of my time. And at, at, at the stage we're at right now, you know, we've grown quite a bit as a company. Uh, we're, we're definitely not just a small company anymore. Um, the, it gets to the point where it's like, a big focus is how do I free up my time? Um, because, because there's, you just, you can't do all of it, right? No, you and can't. It just gets to be so much that you have to figure out, okay, what are the things that are, you know, recurring tasks that can be offloaded to somebody else? Where can I put these things? And the more we grow, the more we do that, the more it frees me up, not necessarily more time, but it frees me up to spend more of my time on strategic things rather than tactical things. So I spend more time. I still do quite a few tactical things and, you know, we're working on that, but I spend more of my time now looking at, uh, for example, looking at numbers. Okay. Looking at a weekly report, analyzing the numbers and looking at, okay, here's what's happening from a, from a high level strategic level, right? Here's what's happening from the business. And then, and then creating outcomes that filter down through the rest of the team, right? to kind of improve that metric. So on the numbers side, it's that. Um, another strategic thing that I do a lot is uh, I'm doing all the coaching, right? I'm, when it comes to Cinema Mastery, I'm the guy, right? And so, and so like in our higher level coaching programs, I'm on calls 
um, all week, uh, communicating with our members, helping them out with their businesses, talking to them, uh, occasionally traveling out and shooting with people. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, and a lot of that stuff I'll keep doing, but then, but then it's, it's just some of the more tactical things. If we can outsource those, it allows me to operate at a higher level on things that are more impactful throughout the business and for our members and for our customers that will give them more value. No, definitely. Cause, and, and you never want to be at the spot where you realize that you are an extremely overpaid executive assistant. If that was like the task yeah. that you're doing, like you're like, wait, I'm paying myself how much to be an executive assistant that could cost how much uh, is, I think that's always a good way to, to look at is like, not would you pay yourself that much, but would you pay somebody else X amount that you're paying yourself to do that job? Um, exactly. And then like, no, if not, then well, think about about outsourcing that that to somebody else so i'm curious like early on do you feel like when it came to like working the numbers being in the like doing emails you know was this something you were working on you know, like you know 40 hours a week 20 hours a week 10 hours a week um do you have any sense for what or let's say early on how much time that took you know a week to do just ballpark yeah sometimes more sometimes less and my approach to this is probably different than most people. I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are killing themselves 80 hours a week. Um, you start just, being not as productive. You start. I, I just have never subscribed to that. Yeah. And, you know, I remember one of my mentors asking in one of our coaching sessions, he asked everybody, like, how many hours a week do you work? And everybody was like 60, 70, 100, like whatever. And they're, it's almost like, a, like they wear it like a badge on their shoulder, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like something to brag about. And I posted in there, I said, I said, like 20 or 30. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I, and it was, I had, I had the urge to feel embarrassed that I wasn't, I wasn't as cool as them because I wasn't working as hard. But then when I really think about it, like you have the badge. I, <laughs> yeah. My, my goal as an entrepreneur was not to kill myself for the rest of my life. And, and I think that a lot of people look at it from a perspective and there's nothing wrong with this. But from a perspective of, I'm going to put in the work right now so that I can have the lifestyle later, right? And I think that's really important. Um, I, I totally agree with that. But part of me just thinks that, like, it's not just about the destination, right? But it's also about the journey. And if I'm not enjoying the journey, I may not ever get to the destination. And that's so true. if I never get to the destination, I don't want the journey to have sucked, that Absolutely. makes sense. Absolutely. And so, and so, so I agree with the idea and I do work hard and, and we do everything we can to make you know things happen as fast as possible. And we want to get there wherever there is. Right. Um, but like I became an entrepreneur so that I would have the freedom to have more time with my family and be able to actually raise my daughter, uh, daughters. We've got another one coming in a month. Oh, congrats. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and be able to live a lifestyle starting now, not, when I'm 16 years, years old you know, and your kids are all out and yeah. done with college <laughs> starting right now, live a lifestyle that is unlike what most people are able to do. And so I take that seriously. I'm, I am okay with the deadline, whatever that is being extended by a little bit so that I can enjoy the journey. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that makes, makes perfect sense too. I mean, so far all the research that I've seen just says that, yeah, once you start putting past like 37 hours a week, like you just actually start being counterproductive, you start making bad choices that the end don't actually lead to more productivity from what I've read, at least. Yeah, so so this is kind of interesting. But one of the goals that I have set for myself right now is to to do at least three hours of work a day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would look at that and be like, really, that's it, you know, but but like when I talk about three hours of work, I'm not talking about like, write an email here, check Facebook for 15 minutes, yeah. uh, do this, like go back and forth. Like it's, it's not like what most people do for eight hours at a job where they put in like 45 minutes of solid work yeah. in an eight hour time period. Uh, it's like, we're talking three hours of focused hard work. And I found that if I can get that done, that makes the business run smoothly. What ultimately ends up happening is doing that kind of work really puts me in momentum. And so, and so then I end up working like the whole day <laughs> and, but I'm happy doing it and I've hit my goal and I'm happy and things are good. But I found that like, if I can do that, then I can, then the business is going to go well. If I can, you know, put that much work in at a minimum. Right. And then what that does is it allows me to like, you know, once a week I'll go with my wife and my daughter and we'll go to the water park for a few hours. And like, we're able to do that, not just on Saturdays, but like, we'll do that midweek on a Wednesday, you know, at noon, we'll go to the water park or, you know, things like that. And so 
it just, it just, again, it all comes back to that lifestyle, right? I've determined like, this is the amount of work that I need to do. And it's gotta be hard work and it's gotta be good. And it's gotta be smart work more important yeah. than anything. Not just hard. Like I need to still be able to have that lifestyle that I want. No, well, well, thanks so much. I think you summed it up great. And, and I think especially, you know, right now with people's, you know, pace of life has in some ways changed a little bit this year, you know, very much for, for many people. And I think in some ways, I think there, people have enjoyed in some ways that being forced to be at home for, for a season, less commuting, but people are kind of gearing up for that next phase with things reopening, depending on where you are at the country. Um, but it is the sort of thing where we have to be intentional about pace of life, setting goals, um, and, and working more focused work, not just scatterbrained, uh, work to actually get things done. And if you actually want to move the, move the needle. Yep. Well, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. I've loved hearing your story, your goals, yeah, you where you're going to go. Uh, so for our listeners, um, where's the best place for people to, to find your work? I mean, I'm sure just besides cinemamastery.com, where do you like to, to listen to, to people? Uh, yeah, so cinemamastery.com is probably the best place to just get started. There's a, there's a free training there that will give you kind of an overview of everything that we teach and how we teach it. It's, it's kind of like a sneak preview of, of the entire course, and there's tons of value in there. We'll, we'll teach you, you know, a lot of different things about how to use some of the strategies we talked about today in your business. And so, so you can check that out. Um, also, when you subscribe for that training, you'll also be put on my email list. And so you'll get my emails and uh, any that kind of information. And you can also check me out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't tweet though. Um, <laughs> but all of those accounts um, at Eric Thane. Um, you can find me pretty much on any social media platform as well. I will, I will definitely have those in the show notes. And I'll also put a link to the, uh, the perfect passion project, as I know that also sounds like just important, uh, key point for people. Yeah. That is within cinema mastery. Okay. Yeah. So make sure yep. that people can easily find that. So cool. thanks so much, Eric, for being on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for uh, sharing your story. I'm sure it'll be a sort of encouragement for, for a lot of people, uh, including myself. So thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. All right. And that wraps up another episode of No Fat Cats. We're helping you set goals, create a plan, and execute consistently. I know Eric really brought it home in terms of how he plans, how he sets, almost pictures his life on his, a little bit more on his deathbed. And then from there, where does he want to be at that point? And then just works his way backwards. And I love just his ability to create goals. I know it's something that I've struggled with. I know a lot of people, listeners have struggled with as well. How do you set goals in terms of what you want to accomplish and then work backwards from there and, and figure out what do I need to be doing today to help accomplish those goals? If you enjoyed this episode, strongly encourage you to go back and check out episode 25 with Ryan Coral, the founder of Studio Sherpas, who also started his own business and transitioned into coaching as well until next week have a great one keep learning keep improving keep getting better 